So, we are continuing our series through the book of Ruth. I really enjoy the fact that we do communion before the sermon because what I love about communion, it centers us on the main point that we have been given an incredible gift of life. And everything we learn in the sermon from that point on just adds to that fact. And I love that that is our foundation because uh, oftentimes, even though you see themes of Jesus in the Old Testament, Sometimes we can get lost reading through it. And so just that reminder that Jesus is our hope. Jesus has given us an incredible gift. It's something that we can build off of here. Especially since last week, we did not end on a super happy note in our story. Right? If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, chapter 1 opens up and we zoom in on a family from Bethlehem. And the father's name is Elimelech. And the author doesn't really give us a hint whether what he does is good or bad. He, he doesn't really want us to focus on that as much as there's a famine in the land. That means cupboards are empty. Businesses are shutting down. And hunger is setting in. We see a father, desperate, trying to figure out how is he going to best provide for his family. He makes the decision to move them to Moab. Again, the author's silent. He doesn't give his commentary on whether or not this is something that God didn't like. He's quiet. You can read different people's opinions on that, and yet I think the author is focusing in on the fact that this is a desperate family during desperate times. Again, during the time where judges ruled. And if you read the book of Judges, it says, at that time, there was no king and everyone did what they wanted. That's a scary statement. And so we have a father trying to provide for his family as best as he can. He moves them to Moab and eventually the father dies. Now Naomi is left with her two sons. Her two sons get married and they live about 10 years. And her two sons, they they don't have any kids from that marriage. There there are signs of infertility there. And eventually, the sons die. And we have three widows. No husbands to care for them. In a strange place. During desperate times. And Ruth, or actually Naomi, sorry, different name. (laughs) Naomi, in her character, she tries to send her daughters-in-law away. And she says, your life will be better if you go back to your homes. Get married. Rebuild your lives after this tragedy. And we see that Orpah leaves and Ruth stays. And again, Ruth makes that amazing statement. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. I love that statement. I love that commitment. We see glimpses of the character of Ruth and Naomi at the very beginning. But I think sometimes we like to try and explain away the pain in this first chapter. We like to say, well, the reason why all this bad stuff happened was because Elimelech did something bad, or the sons married foreign wives, and that's why. And yet, again, the author doesn't tell us that exactly. He's building this tension. And there's something in us, because we don't like the reality that suffering exists, that we live in a broken world, we try to place the blame at someone's feet. And Pastor Andy did share last week that sometimes bad things happen because we make dumb decisions. Can anyone relate to that statement this morning? 
I see you, Scott. There you go. I saw that hand. There we go. Okay. But then also, sometimes bad things happen because bad things happen. Maybe you didn't do anything that you feel to deserve that, and yet it still happens nonetheless. And so my encouragement for us as we look at this, actually uh, a couple weeks ago, Tristan's sewing machine was acting up. She would put the spool on there. Obviously, I'm probably going to use the wrong phrasing for this because I don't sew. I just help fix it after the fact. But the spool would be strung through, and for some odd reason, when she'd start sewing, it'd just kind of spin out, get tangled up. And so I looked at the manual, looked through it, and it turned out we weren't threading it through all the different areas you were supposed to thread it, and there was this one loop that was kind of on a hinge that you were supposed to thread it through. And that loop, what it did was it created tension. It made sure that the line held taut as you were sewing so that you could finish the job. And so the reason why I bring this up, obviously we all know that my text this morning is Ruth 2, not Ruth 1. So I'm not reteaching Ruth 1 to you this morning. But I'm encouraging us not to ease that tension yet. We're looking at a family that has experienced hard times. This family is very relatable. They're hurting, they're experiencing suffering. And I want to encourage us not to try and ease that tension yet because the author will slowly do that. We actually saw last week, he began the, the beginning of easing that tension by saying it was the beginning of barley harvest. There's hope. And the reason why I want us to feel that tension is because uh, the, the title I chose this morning, God's not done with you. Sometimes when we experience tragedy, it can feel like it's the end. We're not sure how we're going to move forward from here. And yet the truth of the matter and what the author begins to do there, it's the beginning of barley harvest. There's hope still. Even if Naomi and Ruth, they're staggering back to Bethlehem just trying to bring the pieces of their life back together to just survive until something else happens. That's kind of the hope that they have here. We see that Naomi, when she comes back, they say, hey, look, it's Naomi, and Naomi's in a pretty rough place. She says, don't call me that because Naomi means uh, pleasant, and she says, call me Mara because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me, right? Naomi's not fun to be around right now. But it's important to note that even at this point in her life, she calls God the Almighty. That is a statement of respect. She doesn't blame God for her circumstances. She might be angry. She might be hurting. But she still acknowledges that he is God and she is not. Job also said it, uh, Job one twenty one. he said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What do we do when life falls apart? That's the question we're asking in the book of Ruth. And so as we look at chapter 2, the author is going to start easing that tension more and more, but he wants the reader to feel it. What do we do when life hurts? What do we do when there's pain and suffering? Where is God in the midst of all of this? With that in mind, now that you're all cheered up and ready to go, Let's read the beginning of Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man with great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, and after one of whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Again, we see that the author is beginning to ease the tension. He introduces a new character to the story. It's this guy named Boaz. And it's revealed Boaz is part of Elimelech's family. He's in the exact position to be able to help Naomi and Ruth. Now, Naomi's forgotten this, or she's just not seeing this in the moment. But again, the author is showing God's hand is moving in this story. Ruth gets up and decides that she's going to go glean in the fields. Gleaning was a practice that actually God established for his people. If you owned a field, you would leave parts unharvested for those who were poor and for those who were foreigners to come through and be able to harvest so that they would have provision. God created a system for those who did not have means and he gave them an opportunity to work for their food by the generosity of others. This was a process that humbled both sides. It humbled those who gleaned because they had to show up. They had to admit that they needed the generosity of others. They had to work through a field that was not their own. But it also humbled the the owner of the field. That they would have to leave parts of their own possession ungleaned, unpicked, and trust that God would provide even if they didn't take everything for themselves. And they also got to see how through that generosity, God would provide for others. As stated last week, God sometimes will allow us to be brought to a point of emptiness so that he can fill us up. When we humble ourselves, that is when God begins his filling. Ruth and Naomi are in a very humbling situation. And Ruth is going to do what she can faithfully do to provide for her mother-in-law and for herself. And we're going to see what God does with Ruth's character and humility. We continue on and it actually says this. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So Boaz is mentioned and it says that Ruth just so happens as she goes out to glean, she just so happens to land in Boaz's field of all the fields that she could have gone to. Here we see the author is kind of, he's being ironic here. He's basically saying Ruth went to glean and wouldn't you know it, out of all the people she could have gleaned from, she finds Boaz's field. The author is making it blatantly clear that this is not by chance. God, in his knowledge and power, is moving in the background. The field that Ruth finds and begins gleaning in, not by chance, not by luck, but by God's provision, is Boaz's field. Boaz, who we are going to find out later, is just the man to come in and help Ruth and Naomi in their downtrodden circumstances. Now, as we continue here, it says, now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Notice this shows Boaz's character. He wants to bless others. And he looks, he says, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. 
And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Now here's where I have to wreck some dreams with this story. It's at this point that novels and romances kind of get in our minds and tends to inform how we see this story. In fact, if people were to write this story today, it might look something like this. Boaz rides up on his John Deere, shirtless and sweating after a very hard day's work. He goes to the foreman of his field and he sees this, this cute girl across the field working hard and he says, hey, who's she? And the guy tells her, oh, that's the new girl in town. So Boaz, he kind of slicks himself up and he shows up and he talks and they have a casual conversation and he might say something dumb that, that ticks Ruth off and she ends up saying something that she wouldn't have said if she knew that, oh, he's the owner of the field that you're picking in. But Boaz is crazy about her. He continues to pursue her and eventually she realizes he might be stupid, but he's kind of cool to have around. And so on and so forth until they get married and live happily ever after. Have we ever read Ruth with that kind of a picture in mind? Maybe a little bit. Okay, the John Deere is not in there. I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe that's an overgeneralization, overgeneraliz but for the most part, that's an outline of kind of how our like Hallmark movies go on today, right? My wife reads all sorts of romance books, and she told me that in Kindle, uh, the category for a, a book like that, it's an age gap marriage of convenience trope category. I don't even know what that means, but apparently there's a category for it. Even though there is love and romance in this story, we have to look at the context of it as well. First, Boaz is most likely closer in age to Ruth's father-in-law than to Ruth. I'm sorry if that shatters any dreams here. This doesn't mean that there is not attraction, but there is attraction for more than just looks here as well, because again, Ruth's character is on display. Second, Boaz's question about who Ruth is might not come entirely from, who's the new girl? But it might be, who's this stranger in my field? I haven't seen her around town before. It's probably a very practical question here. But finally... While Ruth may have been beautiful, again, the author doesn't say anything about that. Ruth is recognized for her character more than her beauty here. The foreman of the field says that's the girl who left Moab, her hometown, to come with her mother-in-law back to a place where she is a foreigner to care for Naomi. Again, he's not just saying she's a stranger. He's saying she's a stranger who gave up everything to care for her mother-in-law who had nothing we begin to see a glimpse of who Ruth is here. Her desire to provide for her and Naomi makes her stand out when Boaz arrives. And we'll see more of this as we continue to read. This is what Boaz says to Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not glean in another, in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my mates. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, what have, what have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? 
Boaz replied to her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to the people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, indeed, have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like the one of your not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz, after hearing about Ruth's character, approaches Ruth and tells her that she's welcome to stay and glean all throughout the harvest season. He promises provision and protection which is something that foreigners were not guaranteed, especially during this time. God is moving to provide for Ruth and Naomi, and his provision comes through Boaz. Boaz even works behind the scenes. I love this part. He sneaks up to his guys and says, like, as she's following you, like, accidentally drop some extra, right? And, and I just wonder how Ruth looked at it as she's following this guy and goes, like, I lucked out. I followed the dumbest guy here. He's dropping extra stuff, right? Like, she might not know fully what's going on, but God is providing. Ruth has gone from being a widowed foreigner with nothing left to having direct access to provision and protection from a very influential man in Bethlehem. That's not chance. That is God at work. It might not have been how Ruth or Naomi expected him to move, but he's moving nonetheless. To top it all off, Boaz even invites her to share in a meal, and she's given enough to where there are leftovers. I love it. It says she ate and was satisfied. This is during a time where they're just coming out of a famine. They probably haven't experienced that kind of satisfaction with food for a while, but not only was she satisfied, there were leftovers. When the waiters came by, she got to ask for a box. God is providing. For someone who's gone through the ringer, that is an incredible thing to experience. She now gets to see how God is showing up. And what I love here is Boaz even wishes a blessing for her. And he says, may the Lord provide for you and protect you as you seek shelter under his wings. And yet, Boaz is the one who is bringing that provision and protection. Here's where we begin to see that God uses his people to fulfill his purposes. And even if it seems something small like giving a gift or providing a job, it might be just the right thing at the right time for that person. Let's continue reading. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after, and she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. 
Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, This man is our relative. He's one of the closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. At the end of the day, Ruth measures out what she got, packs out, and it says that it was about an ephah of barley. Now for those of us who don't measure anything in ephahs, I don't know who does. If you look at a commentary, it says that that comes to about 30 to 50 pounds of barley which says that that is about a month's supply. Not bad for the first day on the job. That's an incredible haul for Ruth and Naomi who need this desperately. Again, she just happened to find Boaz's field. She brings it home to Naomi, who if you remember, she says, call me bitter. Again, she's not fun to be around right now. I'm sure her eyes doubled in size as she, as she saw what Ruth brought back. And I just love Naomi's response, where'd you go? And I wonder if she also added, please tell me you remember how to get back. (laughs) If you notice the language, it says that Naomi also ate and was satisfied. Ruth gave her her leftovers box and there was enough that Naomi was also able to be satisfied, not just survive. Does it fix what they went through? No. No. But it shows that their life is not over after experiencing tragedy. Again, God is not done with you. God is still working and bringing something beautiful out of the hurt and the brokenness. Ruth answers Naomi Naomi by saying, I just so happened to meet this guy by the name of Boaz. And Naomi remembers, she actually says, he's one of our family redeemers or kinsmen redeemers. We're going to learn more about that later on as we continue to read. But at this point, we begin to see that tension be relieved. Even though there's pain and tragedy, God is showing up in ways that no one can explain. God has not abandoned them. She even acknowledged that the Lord is working through Boaz in her statement. Then the chapter ends with more of a cheerful note than the first one. It says that Ruth stayed working in Boaz's field and she continued to live with and provide for her mother-in-law. That chapter ending is a lot more heartwarming than the last one. Our main takeaway that we're going to look at for this is that God works in the midst of and in spite of tragedy. We all experience difficult times. And sometimes we can really believe the idea that there's no coming back from this. There's no recovering from this. And yet the truth of the matter is, God shows up even when it feels like life is falling apart. Now that's the takeaway for the whole book. But in chapter 2, we really begin to see that show up more and more. Just because God does not show up the way we expect him to, it does not mean he won't show up. It just means he's not meeting our expectations. Again, we have to ask, who's God in the situation? When we experience trials and tragedy, it can be easy to believe that we can't recover from it or that God has abandoned us. 
We can believe the lie that we are all alone. But this is where we have to remember that we are not alone. God is working in many different ways. God works through community. That's the first point here. If you believe that your faith is a solo thing, uh, please, please don't believe that lie. There are a lot of studies being done that uh, a lot of Christians, especially in America, believe that their faith is a very personal thing that you don't invite others to. And yet, Jesus is the one who uh, started and encouraged the church, which means community, a gathering for his name. To be a believer in God means that you also are part of the community of God, and God provides through his community. Again, look at Boaz. He might not have thought, I'm God's provision for this girl at this time, but he's being faithful to God's commands as someone who owned a field, And he's also being compassionate and generous. And God uses that to change Naomi and Ruth's situation. It's the enemy who wants to keep us alone. It's the enemy who wants to keep us from embracing community. That goes to our second point here. God works through our humility. Ruth was brought to a place where she had to be humble and vulnerable. Those aren't words we really like today where she had to go and seek the the generosity and kindness of others by gleaning in a field. To glean was to embrace the fact that you needed the kindness of others. God made us for community, which means that we need to humble ourselves and we need to bear one another's burdens. We need to share when things are not going well. Actually, James 5 says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed, so that there can be growth coming from that situation. I think of Jesus. He always asks this weird question when someone comes to him for healing. There's someone who has a clear issue going on. Like my favorite one is someone who's blind. And they come wandering to Jesus and they say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus would often ask, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, What do you want me to do for you? And I think the guy's going like, I'd like to see if you don't mind. And Jesus would heal him. I've always found that to be an odd question, and yet I think Jesus is revealing something that he wants us to come to a point of complete humility. God does his best work when we acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. And that takes uh, a humbling in our own heart and some vulnerability as well. And as God works through people, that means also that we humble ourselves and we are vulnerable with fellow believers who have the same thing in common, which is Jesus as Lord. And the same desire to grow into who he wants us to be. So those are two main things here, that, that God works through community. This is why we have church. And God works through our humbling. Again, when we are emptied, that's when we begin to see him fill us in ways that we couldn't have on our own. But I added another point there because I think this is important. This story shows that our circumstances do not have to define our character. You could look at Ruth and Naomi's story and not blame them if they were bitter, like Naomi. They could have complained a lot more. They could have treated others poorly, and yet we see Ruth has a plan to go and not only seek provision, but to provide for her mother-in-law as well. At a moment where a lot of people probably would sympathize if she would become bitter and angry as well, her character shines through even brighter. 
This doesn't mean that what we go through is not hard or hurtful, but rather it means that those circumstances do not have to change who we are. We have to ask the question, what will we allow to change us? Our circumstances? Or will we submit to God and let him grow us even through challenging times? And even remember that Naomi did not lose sight of who God was. She said, the Almighty has dealt with me. Or even Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be his name. Just because my circumstances are bad, that does not mean God is bad. God is not done with you yet, believer. Maybe we're hurting because of situations we cause, or maybe we're partially responsible, or maybe we're hurting just because we live in a broken world. God can still bring something good out of our tragedy if we will humble ourselves before him. God is going to use his people, his community, to move forward his purposes. Can I encourage you? Engage in community. Engage in Christian community. Or maybe you find yourself more in a position of Boaz. You're not in a season of hurt right now. You've seen God provide over and over again. Can I encourage you to look at those? Maybe he's positioned you uniquely to provide for protect, to show God's love and generosity to, ultimately pointing those people back to the one who gives everything for us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you provide. Lord, we know that life hurts, that there's hardship, and sometimes we wonder why. But we know that you're good, and we know that you're not done yet. Help us be able to cling to that hope as we wait for you to restore everything. Help us plug into Christian community, not isolate ourselves. God, help us seek everything that you offer and trust that you are moving even when we can't see it. We love you and we pray this all in your name. Amen.